0: Welcome, welcome, welcome to Sway Sunday night, June 11th, Trinity Sunday. Nice to see everyone. We're going to open up with a poem tonight for our call together that I will read, and it is called Salt by the poet Charles Wright. Skeptical. Often deserving, a purgative, a seasoner, gives liveliness, pungency, a preservative, creates a false impression, is stored away, oh definitions, holding for nothing our black hands. The words come, and the words come, trailing like dew upon the world's wet wounds. Oh, salt. So, if you've been with us the last couple of weeks at all, you've kind of known what we're doing this summer in terms of looking at various physical forms of things. Our summer series is called Alchemy. Tonight, last week we talked about fire, this week we're going to be talking about salt. A lot of the songs and pieces are going to have to do with salt in some way, Um, but first, we're going to just sort of have our announcements. I don't, I, to be honest, I'm not sure announcement-wise what's, what's up. Anything that I don't, I, anything that is happening is something I don't know about. So anything that anyone wants to bring up. Any canned stuff happening this week?
1: I don't think so. I think
0: the canned stuff has passed. Canned stuff is passed. That's great. All right. Anything else, anyone? This is really lame. I have nothing to say. And not only do I have nothing to say, we have nothing to sing either because this is the first week of Ordinary Time and we don't have a song yet. So so we're going to do the Itsy Bitsy Spider led by, (laughs) be careful what you wish for. (laughs) Should we really do that?
2: Let's do it. it. We're going to do the Itsy Bitsy Spider.
0: It's going to happen. It's going to happen right now. All right, we ready? The itsy bitsy
3: spider climbed up the water spout. Down
0: came the rain and washed the spider out. Out came the sun and dried up all the rain. The itsy bitsy spider went up the spout again. That was great, guys. Thank you. Thank you so much. Bye. Have a good time back there. That was wonderful. Thanks, Ebbs. That was a really good call. <laughs> now we've had time to think of an announcement. Surely, surely there's something. If not, that's cool. Um, we're going to go into sort of our songs of prep. And again, I want to point out that all these songs tonight will be pointing towards salt in some way, including a wonderful original that Tim Carlos has composed for us tonight. If you'll flip over your page, because you, you've got to see this, it's called Gomorrah Never Knows, which I think is brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Thank you, Tim. Uh, so I'll let these songs kind of speak for themselves, um, but thank you, Tim Carlos, for bringing words to us tonight, for bringing song to us tonight. Appreciate it.
4: So, yeah. So good evening, everybody. Um, very uh, happy to be back here i to start off with a song called um, Salt of the Earth.
5: Raise your glass To the good of the evil Let's drink To the soul of the earth Say a prayer For the common foot soldier Spare a thought For his back-breaking work Say a prayer for his wife and his children Who burn the fires Who still till the earth When I search A faceless crowd Swirling massive Grey and black and white They don't look real fact they look so strange Raise a glass to the hard of people Let's drink to the uncounted heads Let's think of the waver of millions Who need leaders but get gamblers instead and spare a thought for the stay-at-home voter His empty eyes stay at beauty shows And a parade of grey and suited grafters A choice of cancer or polio. Such a faceless crowd, a swirling massive grey and black and white. They don't look real to me. In fact, they look so strange. Let's drink to the hardworking people, let's drink to the lowly. Raise a glass to the good and the evil Let's drink to the soul of the earth Let's drink to the hard-working people Let's drink to the lowly of birth Raise a glass to the good and the evil Let's drink To the salt of the earth.
4: So, that was a song written by uh, Dartford's finest uh, sons, uh, Keith Richards, Mick Jagger, Rolling Stones. And now I'm going to sing a song called "Salt to the Sea" from Tim Finn, a songwriter from New Zealand. Originally in a band called Split Ends, and then an intermittent member of Crowded House. and a, I guess he's been making records for, I don't know, uh, recordings for 20 years or so as a solo artist. Anyway, this is Salt to the Sea.
5: saw him last crying for friendship that's forever in the past we're going home to morning on a jet plane crossing date lines we're going nowhere fast there's a river running through our town carrying soul to the sea and our tears were merged with the flowing water Carrying so to the sea Sharing our sadness to the ones you left behind Staring at photographs of long forgotten times Look through any window We all came from a different place But now we're all of a kind The blind leading the blind There's a river running through our town Carrying soul to the sea And our tears will merge with the flowing water Carrying so to the sea. Somewhere in time, he was a friend of mine. Now his story gets told, an event unfolds, the ebb and flow, the letting go. It's hard to know why And our tears will merge With the flowing water Carrying salt to the sea There's a river running soul to the sea And our tears will merge with the flowing water Carrying soul to the sea There's a river running through our town Carrying soul to the sea Ode
0: to salt This salt in the salt cellar I once saw in the salt mine. I know you won't believe me, but it sings. Salt sings. The skin of the salt mines sings with a mouth smothered by the earth. I shivered in those solitudes when I heard the voice of the salt in the desert. Near Antofagasta, the nitrous pampa resounds broken voice, a mournful song. In its caves the salt moans, mountains of buried light, translucent cathedral, crystal of the sea, oblivion of the waves. And then on every table in the world, salt, we see your piquant powder, sprinkling vital light upon our food. Preserver of the ancient holds of ships, discoverer On the high seas, earliest sailor of the unknown, shifting byways of the foam. Dust of the sea, in you the tongue receives a kiss from ocean night. Taste imparts to every seasoned dish your ocean essence. The smallest miniature wave from the salt cellar reveals to us more than domestic whiteness. In it we taste
4: so when I was talking to uh, Ben a few days ago about the um, about this evening and what music which songs we were going to do and how, how it was all going to play out. At this point, Ben had suggested that I uh, play Noodle on the guitar in the style of uh, Daniel Lenoir, Daniel which I was, I was going to do, and then I, I changed tack. And I composed this piece. It's called uh, Gamorin of Nose, it's a, it's a tribute to Joe Pass.
1: Probably what Rowan thought, Tim. I thought that was great. Thank you very much. apologize for my progeny.
4: Fine,
1: but it's yeah, There's no accounting for taste. <laughs> so welcome again. Yeah, I'm Ben. Mark earlier. There's a couple of things just to note where you're finding us tonight if you're a little bit newer to a mass way or maybe if you, yeah, just for hope that aren't that new, where you're finding us tonight. So yeah, we have taken on For the last couple weeks, this summer series, we always try and do something a little more um, lyrical, creative in the summer. We've done sort of the gospel according to, where we've taken, you know, particular pieces of culture and said, well, where can we see the gospel here? We've often done things trying to connect art in a different way. And so, yeah, this summer, this... um, Alchemy series was our way of trying to take a different take on something we've done a couple of times, which is a body series. And for us, a lot of us, and I think a lot of people in a Western Christian tradition have come up understanding some sort of a divide between the physical and spiritual worlds. That these are two things that played on different tracks, and that as we've torn down in the past couple of weeks, that, that raises a lot of problems, socially, theologically, and so we're saying not in a, not necessarily in the in the context of bodies, but in the context of our physical world. If we take elemental realities like fire or salt or bread, what? And, and we say that these are not separate somehow from our spiritual and theological lives. That what 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 can we see from these physical realities that might, you know, get us to think differently? And then the second thing I notice is we're kind of a skeleton crew tonight, and not not but so. Mark's going to take off in a little bit to go to a family thing and, and Tim is, I, it's a great if you don't already know what he's off doing so Reverend William Barber is sort of having a big kickoff service tonight. He's left the NAACP after all, a long tenure and, and all his moral movement work is taking a new stage um, and is kicking off tonight this um, Poor People's Campaign sort of resurrecting on the 50th anniversary of MLK's um, poor People's Campaign, which he's in the process of planning um, when he was assassinated, resurrecting that and trying to create a multi-state national movement around uniting um, folks around the needs of the poor and do, and building a, through a moral and theological lens. So that's where Tim's at tonight. And then Molly has had, yeah, Lupris has raised up and declared itself uh, more more powerful than her this today so i am going to be stepping in and molly has, has written a lovely dialogue on salt and i'm going to deliver it to you and it's going to be great um but yeah before we do that i'd invite you all as we always do pass the peace of christ to each other welcome each other go grab a snack or some coffee someone has someone brought what is this Did someone bring cider yeah. yeah we
6: were given cider
1: God bless that stranger. We tasted it, and it is
2: cider.
1: Okay, so it's confirmed cider, and it's over there with the coffee. Please, grab, grab, grab some of these things. Yeah, go, greet each other, and we'll be back here in a couple minutes. So, welcome back. So just to turn back to the music a little bit, I thought that, like, yeah, I thought Tim's opening songs, and he was, yeah, Tim was super helpful to work with this week. If you're looking for random songs that are based around a concept, Tim Carlos is not a bad person to, to go to. His musical knowledge is fairly encyclopedic. But yeah, this, I thought, to say, like, the Pablo Neruda poem, Ode to Salt, was kind of where Molly was starting the week in terms of saying, I'm gonna talk about salt, I'm not sure exactly what direction I'm gonna go, but this poem really speaks to me. And so I thought riffing off of that, um, it's this Neruda poem does about as good a job as maybe you could find a piece of art to do for taking human and natural history and uniting them around a single element. And so I thought that Tim's choices and, and later on too, just take, there's a rhetorical, like salt of the earth is a rhetorical idea but the salt to the sea, that when we, when we cry and taste our tears, we taste salt, right? And so there's something, there's some union of the physical and the emotional and, and, and otherwise that, that I think is, is captured in some of these pieces tonight. So yeah, what I'm giving you is, Molly gave me her dialogue text, and I was allowed to make edits, Which were light, but you may you may notice where some of them are. Anyway, so yeah, I'm gonna give you that. We're gonna do like usual, except, yeah, this is my voice offering you mostly Molly's voice. So I was going to have everyone taste salt before asking this question, but Ben said that it sounded like the kind of idea that some mainliner would come up with after attending a workshop on multi-sensory worship. What if I have them taste salt and then I talk to them about it for 20 minutes? And so since Iwe's not mainline, um, nor has Molly recently attended a worship conference, uh, she's passed on the salt tasting. And this did not stop her from spending some small part of her prep time this week finding a bitmoji that cast Molly as an anthropomorphic salt shaker. If you have bitmoji, that is on there, so you can go find it. Or I would suggest you text Molly the phrase, show me the salt, and she'll respond appropriately. <laughs> or inappropriately, as the case may be. Um, so anyway, seriously, to start off with, though, this is, it's a, it's a pretty basic concept, piece of our life. So when I say salt, um, what, kind of, what kind of images, what kind of references, what kind of memories come up for you? Winter. Okay. You want to you want to follow through on that? Why, Phil? It melts the ice. It does. No, absolutely. No, I just yeah. I I wanted to see if you really hated salt in the winter or. okay. Jeez, it's a preservative. Okay, salt is a preservative. There Like like like
7: like for me like that like that sodium chloride.
1: It's like an yeah. It's like the the periodic table elements getting combined. Wow. Okay.
2: Yeah. It's inert. Okay. Explain that. <laughs> well, it's non-reactive. It's stable. Chemically speaking.
1: Yeah. Chemically. Awesome. Keep going. It's
2: corrosive. Awesome. I lived in New
6: York. My name is It feels like the perfect thing to start ordinary time with, because to me it seems very ordinary. Like I think of I'm at home with my son right now, and my whole day is spent feeding him, and there's
7: a lot of salt and all like the food that he
1: likes. So that just seems like very everyday, all day, ordinary time kind of. Yeah, I agree with that. I'm not sure if that was on purpose. I, I imagine it might have been, but yeah, it's like a very, very ordinary substance element. So I have uh, a lot of health issues lately,
6: and I've been, in my diet, eating way too much salt. So it's caused a lot of issues. And so for me it's like, right now, associated with inflammation, and it's what eat, and like, you'll get comfortable
0: in medicine, mm-hmm. which just sucks.
8: Yeah. I recently read an article um, about cooking, where very well treated chef was saying that all you need for delicious food is salt, but just the right amount. Yeah. Like, oversalting is really bad, undersalting is really bad. right We'll make anything delicious, more
1: delicious. Yeah, Jim. How about bars? They put out salty food so you'll drink more. There <laughs> you go. Know. Is that what they do? Is anybody? Okay, yeah, all right. I thought bar food was salty because it was good. <laughs> So, I think one theme that, and this is, yeah, this will be prominent tonight this notion of salt as a duality. That it's, to to SK's point, or to a lot of your different points, we've got an inert substance that's also corrosive. We have a substance that's perfect in just the right amount, but then if you have too much of it, then you start seeing negative effects. So, there's something that's so simplistic, so basic, but can go dramatically one way or another are pretty markedly one way or another in terms of how it affects us on the positive and negative continuum. So, yeah, I think those are a lot of things that we're bouncing around our conversation this week and, and certainly bounce around Molly. So, did you know there's an entire book about salt? It's true, Mark Kulansky's work, Salt, A World History, that's not at all ambitious, um, is supposedly quite tantalizing and worth a read. Um, I have never read it. Molly says she's never read it, but apparently it's really good. She did do a bit of research, maybe out of that work and some others, so to wit, salt. Wars have been won and lost on the basis of who has control of stores of salt. Governments have found salt to be a lucrative means of raising funds by controlling it and taxing it. And at different points in history, salt has been the currency of commerce, the word salary has its Latin roots in the idea that a worker was paid in order to be able to buy salt. In recent decades, salt and its benefits, or lack thereof, have been highly publicized in medical and scientific research. The FDA issued a recommendation to food industries for the voluntary reduction of sodium in food products. But there remains some who argue that the harm from not consuming a certain amount of salt... 45% sodium outweighs the benefits from such a reduction. So besides flavoring our food, we know salt has thousands of other purposes. It softens our water, it melts the ice on the sidewalks, and we gargle it. It can soothe the sore throat, just to name a few. And we've named several more. Until 100 years ago, salt was scarce. Having or not having it was the difference between life and death. And Lot's wife, notwithstanding, Hebrew Hebrew scripture casts a pretty favorable view of salt. In biblical times, it was overwhelmingly viewed as a useful, precious resource. Salt didn't only add flavor to food, but it also preserved certain foods, such as meat or fish from spoiling, which is essential before refrigeration relatively recently comes into existence. It helps to purify or cleanse meats through the removal of blood, which in the Old Testament you're working around the restrictions of Torah. It was rubbed on newborn children, used to seal covenants, sprinkled on sacrifices, understood as a metaphor for wisdom, and considered useful in healing or cleansing certain ailments. All of these uses were commonly known in first century Palestine, and indeed, such uses were likely to be the background for symbolic use of salt in offerings and sacrifice. As well as sealing God's covenant with Israel, in Numbers and Chronicles, salt becomes a substance with which covenants between God and his people are sealed. So in short, when Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, he and his audience likely had a great deal more in mind than a convenient flavor source. Salt was, to put it succinctly, a necessary element of life. Perhaps something more akin to what we find in Pablo Neruda's understanding and imagery. Salt itself sings, moans, functions as light for our food, sprinkles our domestic whiteness with a glimpse of infinitude. And yet this necessary element of life, this infinitude in our world, is not innately good or bad. If anything, it's both. I mean, just think of the last one. Someone like Molly, for example, took a tequila shot or had a margarita and finished it off with the salted rim, and how good the first drink was, but how so lovely, but three or four drinks later, Molly wasn't so sure it was a good idea. Maybe it was a very bad thing. So if tequila shots don't merit particular mention in Scripture, we do still get a sense of salt operating on a spectrum of positive and negative, which raises some questions as we look in tonight's text. So I'm going to ask someone to read these two texts tonight from Genesis and Matthew.
8: The sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zor. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah, sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the plains and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife, behind him, looked back, and she became the pillar of salt.
9: You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything. It is thrown out and trampled underfoot.
1: Thank you, Phil. Brett? So... We have these two texts tonight representing this kind of duality, or certainly gesturing at it. Um, Maybe we prefer to not end up as a pillar of salt, even if we are to be the salt of the earth. So, yeah, what sticks out to you about salt in these texts, in whatever way?
2: Well, I wasn't familiar with the idea of salt being ruined um, and I just thought that was crazy I always thought when I heard the idea of saltiness of salt losing its taste I was like well that will never happen so I don't know what Jesus is talking about but then I heard something I think it might have even been in um, some of Rumi's poetry about the same thing so I wondered if that happened like maybe in the ancient world or even today, but I don't know anything about it. That.
1: Yeah. yeah, that's that's a key sort of strangeness about that particular text. It's like, yeah. And I yeah, it'll it'll come up a little bit more.
3: When I think about Lot's wife becoming a pillar of salt, I remember as a little girl putting salt on slugs
6: else do that and they dry up and um, we didn't do that like as a sport we did that because we thought they were gross and we were trying to get rid of all the all the um, slugs but anyway so when I think of her turning into a pillar of salt I think of it as being extremely rigid without life and um, just kind of dried up and um, hard Um, but I've never seen a pillar of salt so so that's just what I
1: think of. Yeah. I remember the flannel graphs of Lot's wife. Anybody else like the sort of Sunday school imagery of Lot's wife? She's just a sort of oddly human shaped mound of yeah. Yeah. So it takes some imagination. It's not a not a normative thing. in Our daily experience. Somebody else. What what in these texts sticks out about salt or otherwise? The,
7: To the to the point about salt losing its taste. Uh, when my grandma started to get like like really old, she got to the point where she started to to like lose her ability to taste, and, and salt was like the, that was the marker of The marker of it was like when you had to salt it like crazy, so that it was you know so there was something there, right? Like that that grandma loved food. Um, could, could experience and like, joy. Um, and I remember that being like, for, for her, that was, that was maybe like the most difficult um, like marker of a of human was this, this point at which um, like
1: best you can do is make it super salt yeah. yeah, salt is kind of like the last taste to go. I don't know if that's, do you know if that's medically? I don't, I, I, I don't know, I just know that that was
7: like, um, like, you know, like that, that, was, that was a thing that she could, that she could grab onto. I like, can't, like, yeah. like, maybe it's because of the availability of salt. I mean, you always got salt on the table. So yeah.
1: You could take a that's like, more. Somewhere. Yeah. Anybody else?
8: Lots of life turning into a pillar of salt. Like, to me, I think the Pillars being more majestic or pronounced or architectural. I mean, why not just a pile of salt? A...
1: Pillar of Salt National Monument, you know.
8: Yeah, I mean, I mean, if God's pissed off at her, yeah, it's like a puddle of salt, pill, right? but no, a pillar of
1: yeah. yeah, there seems to be something about, like, A marker, a memorial, like why, yeah, why a pillar? Also, there's some great memes around for like, Lot's wife needs a name, right? Or Lot's wife deserves a name. So there's a lot of like, this is one of those texts, you read it at first blush. I remember reading it this week and like, oh wow, yeah, that's a lot, that's a lot archer than I recall. Like the warning against what you're not supposed to do seems a lot more vague if you read those previous verses. There was no like, and if you turn around, you will become a pillar of salt. It was more like random wife of Lot, like you, look, you turned around. Now you're, anyway. So there's, yeah, there's a lot going on there, but this plopping down of a pillar starts to call up a lot of Old Testament imagery around how you mark a location, how you measure your relationship to land and God's relationship to you in it.
8: Anybody else? This, this story about Lot's wife, who I think her name was Ashley Salting. saltine. Sorry. Uh, okay, uh, becoming a pillar of salt. Like a lot of times when there is a story in the Old Testament that is on its surface very disturbing, you can look deeper into it and understand... You know, whether or not you take it as something that you're like, oh, that's how it happened or that's a metaphor or whatever, you can see something deeper in it. But this one I have trouble seeing is anything but disturbing, right? Someone had a moment of doubt and they were immediately turned to a pillar of salt. That doesn't seem like um, I don't I can't I can't get my fingers on what about that is
1: understandable. It's, she's Yeah, she's been a relatively minor character in the story up to that point. I mean, there's a lot of centricity around Lot and his faithfulness, and all of a sudden she looks back at the cities being destroyed. And,
9: yeah. I'm, I'm just struck by the Matthew passage because it's, it's coming right after the Sermon on the Mount, uh, or as part of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, and it's right after Jesus has basically said all the stuff, you know, blessed are the me, blessed are the poor, all the people who... You think don't matter are the ones that really matter, and and, and some there's targeting. Some targeting like the Pharisees there, but you know, it's but but it's just confusing because it's like you know, saying you are the salt of the earth, but if you lose your saltiness, you're out of luck. Um, yeah. In the same way that Lot's wife was out of luck, right. she turned back, and yeah. that was it. So I don't know. I don't. It, it feels like an like there's some almost feels kind of
1: like a threat yeah. yeah, it's got an ominous ring to it. Yeah, you're all there is, but don't screw it up. Right. Yeah, yeah. I think the sermon on the mount reference is great, and it calls back to that Rolling Stones. I mean, yeah, we've just gotten through the litany of interrupting who's in and who's out, and who's elevated and who's not, and this comes right in that spot. Anybody else? One more.
8: Yeah, that's good. I guess like since we talked about these real negative aspects of salt, I am like is that what we're saying we are? Are we the are we the positive are we just the positive of salt? Like yeah. I, we talked about how it's really problematic and so we he so just saying
1: as a preservative or as a flavor. Right. Right. Yeah, we're left to ask first of all, yeah, if we lose it, what is it that we've lost? And then if we are it and it's working, is that – how is that uniformly good? If you eat the whole pillar of salt, it's not necessarily a good thing, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I think that that's a great – yeah, that's a great question. And I think we're we're wrestling with some of those core tensions in both of these texts. So what sticks out to Molly is not only that Lot's wife is salt – But in the Gospels, we are told as people of God that we are also salt. And when Jesus speaks of the disciples as salt, it's not a parable or an allegory. The saying's evocative and it's got multiple layers of meaning, as we sort of teased out a little bit. There's sacrifice, there's loyalty, there's covenant. Eating together was called sharing salt at times. So salt expresses a binding relationship, it references purification, because salt's used in that process. And there's a great deal else going on. So it's not a simple, simple, direct metaphor. It's a lot of layers. My understanding is that the initial you in the Matthew text, um, you are the salt of the earth, is emphatic both in word and position. So you might actually translate the sentence, it is you who are the salt of the earth. Basically, meaning that the disciples are what they are not through inherent potential. That they're supposed to recognize and develop, but more so by Jesus' own word. So, in that reading, we're not challenged to try harder to be salt that we're supposed to be, but rather told that we are salt. And that's less a call to self-exertion and trying more, and it's more a call to believe Jesus' essential word and accept and live out some new reality that's being declared. But then, to Eske's point, what does it mean to be salt? I mean, what does that reveal about humanity? We, the people of God, what did that and does that continue to reveal about God in the world? So, Molly narrates a story on Thursday. She went out um, on her way out to see James, I would presume, uh, and checked out her friend George's Art Museum elsewhere in Greensboro. It's a living art museum. It's established in a thrift store in downtown Greensboro. Um, She's often talked about it before. Um, and one particular piece caught her eye. An artist from Miami had taken the rust off of items found in the store and ground it into a pigment, and from that pigment created large scale, intricate prints. And what was fascinating was not necessarily that the ground up rust and iron making the images of the prints, but that when the artist was hanging these pieces of art, he backlit them and in backlighting them, discovered that there were intricate, vibrant salt crystals that were intrinsically a part of the rust all along. And so, I wonder if that's not what it's like for us. God invests God's self permanently into this world through salt, what some might even call a covenant, and more specifically through the breath and life of each one of God's children created in God's image, and this investment Like the preserving qualities of salt, of which Jesus and his followers knew and depended on, is distinctive and it's defining. But sometimes the saltiness only stands out in certain situations or certain settings, even when it's ever-present throughout. And so we see Jesus throwing a wrench at that kind of imagery. But if salt has lost its taste, how can saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything, but it's thrown out and trampled underfoot. Now, of course, any good armchair chemist, and we apparently have at least a couple here tonight, could tell you, of course, that salt can't lose its saltiness, right? So what do we make of this? So one way to understand that passage, one way it has been understood, is to note that real salt cannot lose its flavor. But the complex minerals found around the Dead Sea were not all pure salt and could, therefore, become tasteless as they got adapted or perverted. The taste, once lost, could not be restored. And Jesus observed that the tasteless salt was not even food for fertilizing or killing weeds. The point seems to be that salt that's lost its saltiness has lost all its good mineral alternative uses. It is useless. Another way that it's been understood, and it understood what Jesus potentially meant, um, comes from New Testament scholar Amy Allen. Who suggests that Jesus and everyone around him knew full well that salt doesn't lose its saltiness. Or to put another way, that God's covenant with God's people doesn't allow for anyone to be thrown out or trampled underfoot. Salt cannot stop being what it is, both good and bad a thing to go to war for and a thing to pass around the table to season food, a preserver and a killer. Just like humanity cannot stop embodying all the aspects of who we are in all our complex realities. But maybe that's okay, and more than enough. And just like being salt being an indispensable reality, humanity, each one of God's precious children, is the salt of the earth. Each one of us and each one of our neighbors, both far and wide, is indispensable to God's covenant relationship with God's people. Indeed, to God's creation itself. And no amount of executive orders or political posturing or tailored rhetoric or self-aggrandizement can change God's commitment to each of God's children. And so in that understanding, Jesus has come not to dissolve the covenant, but to fulfill it. And in the process, he associates all God's people with that very salt of the covenant itself. Jesus affirms that God's covenant with us is a lasting one in all its complexities, leaving us to sing as salt sings, like the skin of the salt mines sings, with a mouth smothered by the earth, the voice of the salt in the desert, a broken voice, a mournful song. In its caves, the salt moans, mountain of buried light, and then on every table in the world, salt sprinkling, vital light upon our food, preserver of the ancient holds of ships, discoverer on the high seas, earliest sailor of the unknown, revealing to us and in us so much more than a tame domestic whiteness. In it, we taste infinitude. And perhaps... Seeing salt as covenant, seeing salt as God's covenant with God's people that doesn't allow for anyone to be thrown out or trampled underfoot might even change our understanding of Lot's wife, who according to scripture was quite literally turned into salt of the earth. And rather than an apocalyptic negative scene, we might rest in the mystery of that image, naming the complexities of salt and seeking a tenuous, Salty balance with our own weighty covenant as people of God. Acknowledging that no one named God's salt of the earth is trampled under his foot. So there's a, yeah, some ideas about how to maybe navigate those tensions. But I want to end tonight by hearing again from you. And as we're doing through the summer, to ask if we are in fact salt we to take that reality seriously, if salt in all its duality and complexity points to an everlasting love-filled covenant with God, how would embracing the nature of that simple physical element change our being in the world? If we're to accept salt as a duality and our role to be it as existing within that duality, how would it affect the way we think about our being in the So we are salt, and as we've discovered, and in, in, you know, salt is in and of itself. It's for good. It's for bad. And as it's, it's to say, SK's question: If the answer is, is that good or is that bad? We say it's both because we're salt.
7: I, I, I like this idea of thinking of, of humans as salt in the, like, through the lens of climate change and through the lens of whether humanity is a virus um, that planet Earth would be better off without um, if, like, if, if humanity.
1: Prevents us from declaring ourselves the entree. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. I like that. Who else? I've talked a lot
6: tonight, but yeah, keep going.
2: take this uh, idea of the right amount in a reformed direction. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I'll just leave. I I shouldn't have said that because I hate Go ahead, Brian. No, I don't don't like reformed theology in general, but, you know, just like, you know, from what Luke said, like, there's a certain amount of salt and then there's everything else. Mm -hmm. Um, So, the idea is that there's a little bit of salt. Sort of that's the that's the image that I've always had in the back of my mind, but I didn't I didn't realize that that was going on in my head. Like, oh there's only a few people that are the salt of the earth and that's why it's tasty, right? Yeah.
1: And I think yeah, that's that there's something implicit there, right? Because that's always how I've read and been encouraged to read that text, is we, us specifically here, are the salt of the earth. I'm going to let you riff. Go, Jim. Well, I'm, maybe I wasn't paying attention and my
8: thought was, was already expressed. I don't know. But um, I'm thinking about you know this Matthew passage, and the first word is you, and who the you is, um, if it was So the Sermon on the Mount, there was a, there was
3: a crowd of people.
8: They weren't all followers, I mean maybe literally followers of him, walking around after him, but they weren't all believers in, in what probably didn't all understand when he was preaching. So he's saying to that crowd, You, you are the salt of the earth. Mm-hmm. And and this brings me back to Luke's point about humanity and its place. And if um, if I if I leave this thought with with um, Thinking of you know, this multitude of interpretations of salt, the one that stands out to the most is uh, in that culture it was particularly valuable. It was something that was very valuable and it yeah. affected everything. Which humanity does. And so I'm, I'm left thinking about what does it mean to lose the saltiness? What does it mean to lose that effect in the world?
1: Mm. To Luke's point, like at the point, saltiness overwhelms what is. It's like you can almost see that as a loss of saltiness, right? If everything is saltiness, how do you know the difference?
2: But that's
1: not what you're saying. Like, you can your saltiness. Whereas that's too salty, yeah. Right. Like, you're the salt of the earth, so go find some earth that's not salty and salt it. Yeah. 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 This means, yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. that opens all sorts of cross-purposes in how you be salt, right? If you start to salt the salt around, and then it gets too salty, you have to move somewhere else. And then, Yeah. Starts to get pretty complicated. It's like a, it's like a seventy-five-year plan, you know. Yeah. You keep riffing a little longer. Anybody?
9: I think some of it is. I still don't know what to do with it, that second part of Matthew, but. Uh, the, with Jim, that Jim was talking about the you is, you know, I'm still pulling back to the the you of who Jesus was just talking about—the poor, the weak, uh, those that are considered worthless—are now being equated with something of high, like extremely high value, um, and you know something that is you know a, a, a good, um, something that preserves. Yeah, and you know, I, and I remember, I you know, I didn't remember evangelical, but I I, I definitely remember the like, be the salt of the earth, right. which was kind of like go and save everybody, yep. go and get out there, you know, and um, and I think you know, some of it's being here in, in, at this church for so long and seeing now like, rereading this as um, we're we're looking at the wrong things as something we're raising up the wrong things as something of value value is is out there um and, and we you know jesus, the value is the people that jesus spent time with um not the pharisees or not the you know he went out and found and was with people who were on the margins and, and those he's saying those are the people that are are, are worth uh, and have worth
1: yeah that this salt language could just be another declaration of who's in yeah and then an interruption, and especially you take back to the covenant stuff. Who's in the covenant? All of a sudden,
3: yeah, that just got a lot bigger. To add to the duality of, of salt and how it's expressed in our culture, I think like a year or two ago, the new like hip phrase was to call someone salty. And, uh, I, I think it's probably already passed through a cultural lexicon, but... Not ours, Keenan. Yeah. <laughs> but that was, it was like, early college for me. It's like... But it wasn't, it wasn't, like... It wasn't an insult to call them salty. It was kind of, like, um, It was kind of condescending to call someone salty, but not... But it was kind of, like, I'm glad you have sass, or whatever. You know, it was, it was not a compliment, but not an insult, either. Um... So yeah, just laying that back to how it talked about there's a duality to it. It's I don't understand if or I, I don't expect people enjoy being called the salt of the earth. It's kind of a label we put on others. Mm. And so I, I don't think anyone would take pride in maybe the, the characteristics we associate that, but not that phrase. And so it's again it's since salt is an essential item and since it's something that is so plain and basic, it's it's both accepted as a necessity but no one wants to
1: be that simple. No one wants to be just silent. That's it's just further. Yeah, it's it might be a peculiar, maybe the most peculiar thing about the way I've been encouraged to read that phrase is that we've taken it as a point of pride, right? You are this ordinary, you know, essential covenantal thing. So go out and like stick your chest out and don't be ashamed of it. That's yeah. That seems an odd way to read this.
10: I think one thing that that I think about when I read this passage is that salt at that time was actually probably not very ordinary. It was quite exceptional. Like, here we can go out and by, buy the pound. But um, in most places in the world, the Middle East being a slight exception to this, the reason that wars and everything were fought over it was that it was so hard to get if you don't live by the coast. And... You don't live by like a, an old dead sea, you know, a sea that used to be there and have less dissolved salt deposit and then, you know, evaporated a thousand years ago. You had no way to get it. And it's absolutely essential for, um, you know, for just all the basic necessities of human existence, you know, both our physical bodily functions, but also um, if you're a hunter gatherer tribe or, you know, a small agricultural village, to just preserving food. The only other thing you can do is smoke it, which is just not as good for keeping food for very long. And this is slightly different you know, in, in the area which they were, but it still required a huge amount of effort. You had to make a salt pan, you had to dig out a huge hole, fill it with seawater, dry it out, and then you had to scrape up the salt, and then for weird chemical reasons, you actually have to take it and boil it um, and reboil it in fresh water and keep doing this over and over. So salt, I think one of the things that, I don't know if I can really interpret it, but one of the things that I think that he's emphasizing is salt is actually, a very rare and like precious thing, and I think that that there's many many ways to take that in the ways that you all have taken it. But I think that's something that's important, which he is trying to emphasize.
1: Yeah, like there's no question, you can't get around, you can't get on without it, right? And that and that, yeah. Certainly, we're reading across a divide of like it seems a lot more ordinary to Neruda, right? It's on our kitchen table, but. If you imagine back over cross that reality, then, yeah, it becomes a very different thing. I think the, the thing that resonates with me most is, like, some of what we're trying to do this summer is reach back across. So many of, so many of our understandings to say, like, at a point when salt was an essential, necessary thing that you had to go out into the earth and create so that you could sustain life, what would salt have meant to you, what would it mean in that community to declare yourself the salt of the earth? And so yeah, in whatever way we've been able to do that tonight, I think, yeah, there's something significant there in saying that if we pass this off as a simple rhetorical statement, if we pass this off as just a, yeah, be salty today and, and you know, share your salt with it, it we're we're missing something. We're missing something not just in this original culture, but maybe something essential about how we're being asked to engage the world as people of faith and people trying to follow whatever Jesus is after here. Thanks for, yeah, helping me out tonight in this space. And yeah, Molly will listen to the podcast and tell us how we did. So yeah, I'm going to invite Tim back up um, to do some songs of confession and absolution. Particularly this confession, I think, resonates really powerfully with some of the humans and creation intersection that we've we've been wrestling with here, thinking about ourselves as salt.
4: Okay, Um, so we've got a song here called Salt Water from uh, Julian Lennon.
5: we It's not enough for the world
4: Inviting you back, it's always a pleasure to be here. Got one more song for you this evening. It's a song called "Why Worry," written by Mark Knopfler, um, and uh, originally on an album called "Brothers in Arms." It's been recorded by Emily Harris in recent years, amongst other people. So, thanks again.
5: I see this world has made you sad Some people can be bad The things they do, the things they say But baby I'll wipe away those bitter tears I'll chase away those restless fears That turn your blue skies into gray Why worry? There should be laughter after pain There should be sunshine after rain These things have always been the same. After, after pain There should be sunshine after rain These things have always been the same So why worry now? Why worry now? Why worry now Why worry
6: None of us have a mic, okay? Right? All right, so a little bit tonight, what we've been doing is in the kids' room in, in, in the back, we've been talking about communion and different ways that different faith traditions practice and we practice like each other's communion. And we want to serve your communion tonight, so I thought it would be appropriate if we had some of our kids help us with the table invitation. So, what we're going to so do, we know that y'all have been talking about salt out here in the big room, so we talked a little bit about how salt is an ingredient in red and it's kind of it's not So we're going to do a call response. And we want to invite you all to also participate in the call response. So I'm going to read a sentence or two. And then you all will respond with, we need salt. And that's how it's going to go back and forth. We need salt. And our kids are going to lead us with it. Okay? In the beginning, it was dark and empty. There was nothing to preserve. We need salt. It was bland and there was no taste.
3: We need salt.
6: But, like Pablo Neruda said, then there was the voice of salt in the desert, and suddenly all of creation knew, irrevocably and certainly knew. We need salt. And the voice of salt moaned and said to Lot as he looked at his wife, Did you think I was kidding? I really meant it when I said, We need salt. But we didn't always get it. We didn't always understand how serious God was about this whole salt business. We said things like, I'm not sure how much. We need need salt. We needed God to come down and say even more clearly, "We we need salt. And God surprised us all when God took a body made of water and protein and carbon and sodium And started saying crazy things like, You are the salt of the earth. You, me, us, all these people of the world, we need you.
3: We need salt.
6: And Jesus said, Don't you know everything salt gets into? We need salt to make bread. We need salt to make wine. We need salt to make the world go round. Jesus said, We need salt. And then Jesus started talking crazy, something about a table. A table big and long or maybe round so that we could all face each other. And he said at this table, like any good and full table, We need salt. Jesus said, I might be the bread, but still, We need salt. Jesus said, I might be the wine, but still to complete this meal, at our table, We need salt. Jesus said, I love you so much. Every time you remember me, I need you to also remember that I am the food, but you are the flavor. I am the meal, but you preserve me. Please, oh God, don't forget.
3: We need salt. Amen.
6: So tonight, the wonderful eager children are going to serve, serve us in communion y'all can come up and uh, we have three boards of cups so they're going to help us come and there's great juice on this side and wine on this side and uh, we'll just have a have a so let's come on <laughs> up